James the, Corbett from the Corbett Report. He's got a great new video out. I got to look at the name here. How to engineer a crisis. I didn't want to mess it up. Is it, uh, Andre, is James on? Okay, there we go. Hey, James, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. What, and you're in Japan right now? Yes, I am. Hey, James, I wanted to play. Let's play a little bit of this video before we talk about it. This is a short segment one of your seconds. new video, How to Engineer a Crisis, which is about the Iran situation and some other stuff. Let's hear this. Last week on The Corporate Report, we considered the possibility that the recent protests in Iran have been assisted by the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia, all of whom are actively plotting against the Iranian government. As I detailed in that report, the idea only sounds outlandish to those who are ignorant of the history of repeated interventions by foreign powers in the internal politics of Iran. Now, so James, let me ask you something on this, because we've had quotes, the, some people in Iran are saying that this was engineered by the US, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. I certainly don't think that's outrageous. I certainly think there's history of doing that. But we've also had Rouhani, the elected president of Iran, saying, and we've played the clip on the show a couple times, that he thinks that there, it wasn't really that that was going on, that people had legitimate grievances. So let me ask, do you think that there's legitimate grievances that people have in Iran and that do you think this protest was what percentage organic and what percentage manufactured do you believe it is at this point? Now, that's the question, because uh, I, it certainly isn't either or. It's both and. And the question is only in the percentages. And I think we can see from the way that this played out that if this was some sort of completely staged operation and it was nothing but rent-a-crowds and, and no one was organically there, then it was a, a pretty dismal failure uh, for whoever was paying for those crowds. So so clearly, I, I think this was not a uh, successful uh, psychological operation uh, on the Iranian people or anything of that sort. But the, the, the whole point of that, that episode that you're playing there is that these types of situations can be inflamed and, and made worse by uh, rent-a-crowds and, and basically people who are uh, being shipped in or, or, or stirred up to protest rather than authentic organic protesters. So if I had to pick an organic percentage versus, you know, people who have been paid to protest, I, I'm not sure I could place the number on that. But clearly, I think the majority of people who were involved in those protests probably were organically protesting what they truly have reason to protest with, with regards to the Iranian economy and the way that Rouhani is handling that right now. But at the same time, as I say in that report, in the previous episode of the Corbett Report, I was going through uh, the the admitted uh, uh, operations that are now going uh, taking place between U.S. and Israel. They, they came out with the agreement at the end of December uh, that was revealed to the public that they are now launching joint operations to counter the Iranian threat. And literally days after that was announced, we saw the beginning of these protests. I think there is some connection there. So it, it, what's interesting is, you know, now <clears throat> in the past, Israel and, 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 and Saudi Arabia had a, you know, kind of a wink, wink kind of coalition where, you know, everyone knew it. It was the, you know, the best kept secret in, in, in you know, in, in, in the room, but everybody knew it. And now Israel and Saudi Arabia are very open about it. And, and, and I think that's fraught with danger for the Middle East. What are your thoughts on that new dynamic in which Israel and Saudi Arabia come kind of straightforward out and say, hey, we're working in, you know, working in tandem to or, 
all the three countries are working together. But the dynamic, just talk about the dynamic between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it really is an interesting dynamic that's playing out right now. And it doesn't necessarily play well to either of their base populations, which is why I think there has, it has always been that nudge and a wink and everyone knows, but no one talks about it kind of relationship. But now it is becoming more and more out in the open. And I think it's clearly centering around ultimately Iran, also Syria, also Lebanon, also Russia and China, which are now having more of an influence in the region. So I think it's centering around these common enemies more so than it is necessarily around some sort of new strategic coalition or, or something uh, along those lines. And that's that's why I think it's still it, it's still taking shape. And I think whatever was happening in Saudi Arabia with regards to the uh, the, the crackdown or, or whatever that was uh, late last year clearly has something to do with, I think, that that growing burgeoning relationship. And I, you know, I think whatever it was is a good way to describe it, because <laughs> I'm one of those people where I see some people on the right and they want to think that what's going on in Saudi Arabia is clearly great. And I am not convinced, but I'm also not convinced it's clearly bad. And I think that if you look around the region, let's go, let, let's just not talk about Saudi Arabia and Iran for a minute. Let's talk about places like Tunisia. Let's talk about places like Sudan, where they also had riots in the last couple of weeks around economic issues. In Sudan, there were these bread riots. In Tunisia, there were riots because of uh, rising prices. So we're seeing protest. Now, what we don't see protest really is Saudi Arabia, because it's a much more closed society where they would crack down on protest. But on the other hand, we have seen women's rights, for instance, being expanded in both Iran and Saudi Arabia. We've talked about that in the show before. So I think there's a lot going on there. And unfortunately, we have a media. Uh, like We've talked about, let's switch continents for a second. We've talked about the Ukraine situation where there was the Euromedan revolution. Now, I don't think the Euromedan, I think it clearly started to a large degree. It was organic unhappiness with corruption. They're having them right now. Right now, they're having more protests about corruption with Poroshenko. But the media in this country, in, in America, is zero focus on those protests. The Euromedan we had them out there giving out cookies and the media was playing it up. So what do you see as the media's role in selectively, again, we, we on this show, I just gave you more nuance in a minute there mm, than yes. you'll see in American media all week. What do you think about that, James? Well, that, that, that is the exact heart of the point. And we could also throw in Libya to that bunch because, of course, in 2011, yes. oh, my God, the Libyan people are so oppressed by Gaddafi. We have to help them. Now, literal slave markets operating in Libya and not a peep from the media. Who cares? Oh, Libya, is there some problem there? Who cares? It's not our problem. Uh, that that's that's the entire point of this is to selectively focus attention and when certain protests get all the attention and all all the news media are breathless about oh this huge problem we have to solve we have to go in there and do something about what's happening in Iran then then you know clearly this is part of a greater coordinated political agenda this isn't about human rights this is about humanitarian concerns as a mask for a, a geopolitical foreign policy that's being pushed by certain political powers 
Well, and we've talked about that on the show, too, that it's 100 percent clear. All you have to do is look it up, that there are elements in the United States right now pushing this completely false, bizarre meme that Iran was connected to Al Qaeda, uh, a Sunni fundamentalist group. And we've talked about how it's very clear the CIA released a bunch of documents and that triggered a bunch of news stories that shockingly, I know, Garland, you were shocked, right? That the news stories were all basically exactly the same uh, across the left and right media. So, again, that's something that we've seen happen. You're right. There is a push against Iran, and it's very clear where it's coming from. It's coming from the deep state, and it's coming from, frankly, the Israeli lobby, uh, which is a big political factor here in the U.S., and it just, it really can't be escaped that this is what's happening and this is where the uh, the agenda focus is at the moment. And uh, again, I think we see it swirling around these types of events. And you bring up Ukraine, I think it's an excellent example because again, yes, absolutely, there were people who were very mad at Yanukovych and uh, the way that he was handling things and moving more towards Russia. And there were elements within Ukrainian society genuinely wanted to be more allied with uh, Europe and the EU. And there was a genuine protest movement that was taking place there. But what was the decisive moment? Read any narrative on any side of the issue about the Ukraine uprising. It was February 20th with the death of uh, 50 of the protesters and police uh, in the sniper battles that happened. Whatever, again, whatever that was, whatever happened. And now there have been university studies that have come out. There have been uh, confessions that have been taken place uh, on on uh, Italian documentary productions that have made their way into Ukrainian court uh, by Georgians who were said they were shipped in to basically shoot at everyone, protesters and police, in order to in- inflame and enrage what was going on there. So again, I think it's it's not the idea that these things are completely staged or completely fictitious. It's that it, when there is an agenda that's, that circles around a certain place, then certain elements can be brought in just to fan the flames. And once those flames are fanned, then the rest is inevitable. Once again, we're talking to James Corbett, founder of the Corbett, uh, uh, CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com. Um, and the topic is how to engineer a crisis. So when you talk about, the, the, you know, Iran, you know how the U.S., Saudi Arabia and Israel, you know, are, are said we, said we you might as well just say plotting against Iran. When you say engineering a crisis, how to engineer a, a crisis, explain exactly what you mean by that, how you came up with that with that uh, headline. Well, I, I uh, actually be- begin this in 1953 with Operation TP Ajax, which, of course, was a joint uh, a br- joint British-American operation, but more led by the Americans and the CIA with Kermit Roosevelt Jr. Uh, and that was specifically an, an mission to go in and to create a a wave of protest against uh, Mohammad Mossadegh, who was the Iranian president at the time, who had, of course, just nationalized the uh, Iranian oil interests away from British petroleum, which got the British obviously pretty upset. So uh, he had to be overthrown. So they did this operation to basically create these crowds that were in support of the Shah taking over the place of the Iranian president. And they pushed that through to completion, and Mohammad Mossadegh was removed from office. The Shah did come to power. 
and everything was happy for the Americans and the British. They got what they wanted. And looking at the way that was done, it was actually remarkably simple. Again, there were elements within Iranian society that were unhappy with Mossadegh and what was happening there. So it wasn't, again, completely created out of whole cloth. But the uh, the skids were greased by $7 million in bribe money that Kermit Roosevelt Jr. arrived in the country with and started handing out lavishly and telling people to create uh, create scenes, create uh, create colorful scenes. And they, they did so. They hired jugglers and, and all sorts of clowns and things like this to, to swell the crowds. I mean, it was it was ridiculous, but it worked. Uh, it did create these large crowds and it did create drive it to a crisis that created the inevitable conclusion. And I think that's that's something of a template. And we see that happening time and time again. So I've talked about uh, Ukraine. Uh, if you look back at the beginnings of the Syrian quote unquote civil war, uh, the insurgency taking place in Syria that started in Daraa in 2011 again started when there was this sniper fire incident during quote-unquote peaceful protests and then all of a sudden there's snipers firing on them and everyone blames, well, it was clearly Assad and his forces until you start um, analyzing it and realizing, in fact, one of the people that died that day was a policeman. So clearly there's something more to this story. And I think we see this happening again and again and again. Uh, it's again, it's the same template, just stirring up problems in order to incite, uh, basically incite the population towards the conclusion that you want to drive them towards. And in the Ukraine case, that was overthrow Yanukovych in Syria, it's overthrow Assad, etc., etc. And in in, in in the case of Syria, we did we saw, if, uh, I don't know how much you, you, you looked into it, but one of the things that we had some experts come on to talk about the alleged chemical attacks, and we found that um, with, with the UN study, the you know there were chemical attacks in Syria that was alleged to have been taken uh, by made, uh, made uh, conducted by the government. Um, we had the uh, someone an expert come in and on and talk about the UN um, uh, uh, report on it. And the UN report said that there were people reporting to the hospital. There were victims of the chemical attack reporting to the hospital before the 40 minutes before the chemical attack actually happened. So we know that even in that in that instant, they were it was highly questionable to say the least. Exactly right. And who was responsible for that? And the same with the Khan Shakun incident, where again it was on the verge of uh, peace, the peace talks reaching a new level, and um, and basically the the opposition starting to be routed in the country, and then suddenly we're asked to believe that Assad suddenly went insane and decided to use chemical weapons against his own people, um, which would be guaranteed to. Yeah, to turn the world's you know uh, ire against him for no discernible reason, and that was the most remarkable part of it. When you read the uh, New York Times coverage of the Conchacoon incident, and why, why did he do this? And the the only thing they could offer was, well, Assad must be wanting to show show the the Syrian people that he can do whatever he wants, and nothing will happen. Yeah, he's a monster. He's, he's a, a monster. monster. That's a literal the, monster. That's, yeah. that's the that's literally the argument. I mean, I mean, James knows. I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah. Literally, the argument is why would Assad do this? Why did he do it in the Gota attack? He's a monster. Okay, whatever. He's not a stupid monster. And doing that when the red line had been put down by Obama, if you do this thing, we will launch a military attack you uh, against you. This is not a guy, and Assad never, by the way, if he's a monster, he's bad at it. Because he could have come out and said, I'll show you, Barack. Because people do that. Military right, leaders yeah, yeah. Military leaders do do that. They do say, you're not going to tell us what to do, so we're going to do this thing. You watch me. Assad never came out and did that. In fact, he denied the attack. 
which is my God. It, I don't know. It is. It, it defies any explanation if you if you take it at face value. But of course, again, I think it's the the bigger agenda going on here. And of course, people will turn that around and say, "Well, you're defending Assad. You're defending the Iranian mullahs." Uh, uh, certainly, nothing of the sort. But I'm just saying that uh, in these incidents, when there is a geopolitical goal by a foreign power, they will use tricks like this in order to try to uh, push their agenda forward. And, and history is pretty clearly full of them. James Corbett, we really appreciate joining us. The Corbett Report. People can follow you uh, at, at YouTube. Where else can they go? Where's your stuff? Uh, YouTube, Steam it, Minds.com, Twitter, um, the usual places. Not Facebook, but uh, the best place is CorbettReport.com. There we go, CorbettReport.com. James, I really appreciate you joining us. Always a great guest. Absolutely. The great and, thing to know, Lee, is that they do this over the, overseas, but they never do that here. 